So when you say that people couldn't believe how much money you were making at that point, how much were you making? $1.4 million a year. $1.4 million from making $2 an hour to $1.4 million. So I, I drove there with a brand new automobile ready to race that afternoon. And I came out in an ambulance and I could hear that I can't find the pulse. And that was a major turning point in my life. I realized that nothing matters. Nothing. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. My name is Ram Sarin. I am the founder of Tuka Tech, a technology company which has been branded as a disruptive technologist. And we like it. It's not something that we started calling ourselves disruptive technologists. It has been the reputation that we've earned over the last 28 years, um, way before disruption was considered to be a buzzword in the industry. I was wondering if you could take me back to, um, you know, growing up in India, because you're, you're, you grew up in a family of like Garmentos. I'm, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, right. you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, could, could you tell me about taking buyers and designers from the U.S. to the Taj Mahal? Yeah, it's, it's um, Indian hospitality, although I'm not in the business, but I'm the son of the owners and the bride buyers, designers would visit. And of course, uh, we were only about four hour drive from the legendary Taj Mahal, one of the wonders of the world. Um, and being a member of the family, it was required that I should or somebody from the family should accompany those people. Uh, being the youngest in the family, that kind of fell on my shoulders. Little did I know, by listening to the yak-yak of these designers and buyers talking to each other, I had no idea how much of a garment industry products or knowledge that I was gaining. So that the little, little things about the hot buttons of the fashion industry, it was a little over 50 years ago, 54 years ago to be more precise, but things have not changed. So going back to, to growing up, like you had all of these, like, I guess like contact with, with people who were completely enveloped within fashion. And so were you like attracted to that in any way? Um, did you realize when you were hearing those conversations, like, okay, I'm interested in this. Like, I want to pursue this. No, 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 not, not at all. I was not at all interested getting into this business. I was studying to be a mechanical engineer. When I left home, um, and that's a long story, but I left home and I realized that I really understand garment industry pretty well. And the engineering that I had gone through 
helped me put the two together, the thinking process as an engineer and the understanding of the garment business, putting the two together was an extreme blessing for me. I think the engineering was way more helpful than just understanding the fashion business. And so you combine those, I guess, those two interests or, or those two strengths when you moved to Canada. So can you tell me a little bit about what prompted that move to Canada? Well, I was young and stupid. Um, had a little um, argument with the family and I decided I'm going to make it on my own. And remember, this is many, many decades ago. And was frowned upon when um, the conventional joint family system, a member goes out and starts living separately. That would have not been a very good thing in society. So the best thing was to leave the country. And this is exactly what happened. And so what was it like in Canada? Like, how did you feel being away from home and being in a completely different country? Well, um, I don't know if I can explain that in few words, but I can tell you one thing. Coming out as a spoiled brat in the family, being the youngest, spoiled by everybody, and then having to have the responsibility to fend for yourself was not a very pleasant experience. I had never even tied the shoes properly myself. And here I am working as a busboy at $2 an hour, picking up dirty plates of others. If that doesn't humble you in a very quick time, I don't know what else will. But I had two choices at that time. One choice was to go back and say, I'm sorry, Daddy. And other one was to just make it happen. And I decided the latter. I went back to school, I worked, I, six years I had no friends. Um, my wife and my daughter, um, they were the friends. Daytime I worked, in the evenings I went to college and took as many diplomas and degrees, whatever I could get. It was not to put the little things on my wall, but to learn as much as possible. And yes, it paid off because six years later, I was the highest paid employee. Wait, wait, how were you making all that money and where, where were you making it from? Very simple. I never, ever did anything conventional. So I was not afraid of losing my job. I, I, I was ready to produce results and I did. I was just sweet talking somebody. I was producing results, measurable, visible results. So like, what was this industry that you're working in? In garment industry, in apparel. I'm a manufacturing guy. The understanding of the fashion industry is not just about designing or, or selling. All of that is fantastic. But if you don't deliver, it doesn't consummate the sale. I can sell anything I want. As a matter of fact, one of the companies I worked, 65% of their total sale was ever delivered. It's all about planning. Seriously. So when you say that people couldn't believe how much money you were making at that point, how much were you making? 
1.4 million dollars a year. 1.4 million from making two dollars an hour to 1.4 million. Did you ever like look at your life and be like, how or why or 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 did it always just make sense that this was going to happen? No, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense at all. You get into a high, the high that you get when you reach that destination that you want to go higher and then you want to go higher. But at the same time, my human behavior was not very good. As I grew older, I now realize I could have got the same results by being nicer. So what brought you back on the right path? I had a cardiac arrest on a dentist chair. So I, I drove there with a brand new automobile ready to race that afternoon. And I came out in an ambulance and I could hear that I can't find the pulse. And that was a major turning point in my life. I realized that nothing matters, nothing. I re-evaluated my life, revisited my past. Nobody knows about your own reality than yourself. And I knew what I was and who I had wronged and why and so on. And I made a very long list. And I ended up for next six months calling every one of them to just apologize. And I tell you, it wasn't something that they were looking for an apology. It was just for my own peace of mind. I started Tuka Tech uh, six months after. That's because I do like to work. It was not motivation because of money. I, I could have made that into a multi-multi-million dollar business because I know how to do all that. But my total focus was making a change. I just want to leave a reputation. I, I, my, my focus is to make sure that more people show up on my funeral rather than just say, well, this guy has so much money or whatever. It doesn't matter. That whole thing is forgotten. What difference did you make in somebody's life? And I work very hard for that. So you talked a little bit at the beginning about disruption and how Tuka Tech is a disruptor. Could you give me maybe some examples of that disruption that you're most proud of? We are working with an industry where education is not the most important part of their life. There are so many artisans who are maybe grade five or grade 10 or grade 12. They don't even understand computers or anything, but they can do wonderful job with their hands, with their skills. So my objective was that I'm going to make totally open system, works with anybody. That was, so we were the first ones in the world to come up with a totally open system. And so getting down to a human level, like, can you tell me about the impact you've had maybe like, like a, on an individual life or one of the success stories or uh, stories you've heard about how your technology has impacted a person that, that you're most proud of? Being an immigrant and that to visible minority, I understood the challenges, except I used to forget that I'm a visible minority because I felt really empowered with my capabilities. But then there were a lot of people who were at the disadvantage and their disadvantage was showing by them being held back with the growth that it, they could have got. I'm going to give you an example. The rich 
could go out and buy the technology. The rich could go out and afford to buy the best possible talent and hire them. But the smaller company, the little guy, didn't have that opportunity. So Kinko's motivated me and gave me an idea that why can't we open up a design center where people could just walk in and I have an idea and they could hire my patent maker to make a patent for them. And I'll tell you something, every time I meet with them, there's nothing but heartwarming conversations going on. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self that you think would have helped you get to where you are now a little bit more efficiently? This is my advice to anyone who becomes successful young enough that don't hold yourself back because you are going to do it with your ego. The more you know, the more you find out how much you don't know. And this can scare a lot of people. My suggestion to people who are trying to become entrepreneurs, stop. Stop thinking of a small little journey. It takes time. It takes a long time. And nothing will work better for you than your reputation, which should be impeccable. So that people would want to work with you, would want to be your partner. Rather than you pushing it, you pull them to you. Yesterday, we completed 27 years. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our Chief of Staff and Operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Nay B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong. With support from Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Aiden Ashworth, Nikki Mukawa, Sylvie Wong, and Eric Menno. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Tiffany Dang, Yao Liu, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.